<laughs> That's such a great stance rolling, by the way, for a, Lawrence of a film podcast where we like pride ourselves on deeper analysis. We're like, Lawrence of Arabia, it's good. It's no Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen Lord of the Rings. Uh, welcome to Frame Rate, the show where we rate frames. Uh, you go first this time, sir. Who are you? I'm Abe Epperson, one of the hosts here. Me also, Michael Swain. And with us a very special guest, please introduce yourself. My name's uh, Brooks Brown. Thank you for being here. Just a fan of Michael and Abe. Aww. Yep, that's, if you are a fan of us, reach out and we will have you on the show instantly. <laughs> no yeah, questions asked. <laughs> well, yeah, Brooks was just hanging out in the alley outside. Yeah, and we're just like, come on over here, boy. <laughs> yeah. We got a podcast for you. <laughs> We've got an incredibly difficult film. Have you been watching it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I've, I've basically been living off it in this alley for the last <laughs> right. two weeks. Anyway, have you seen Synecdoche in New York? <laughs> Synecdoche, New York. A very great Charlie Kaufman film written and directed by the year is, I believe, 2008. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, incredibly dense, so let's just get into it. Just I'll try and... too dense is my thought. <laughs> okay, I w- maybe Abe should go first because I want to hear that unless you were just joking. No, no, I think... It, well, yes, but I do think it's too dense. I also... like, not in a way that I don't feel I understand it. I just think it's like... Okay, we get it. Uh, just like, but it still has some very unique thoughts that are like, yeah. oh shit, that but, is a beautiful little thing there. But to nutshell it, which is difficult to do, but I think I can do in ten seconds. If you haven't seen it at all, uh, because it's his least seen film, I think the others oh, being yeah. being John Malkovich an adaptation, which was his hit, but still not like oh, yeah. a real hit. Charlie Kaufman doesn't get well, hit. <laughs> wouldn't He wouldn't be Charlie Kaufman anymore if he had a right, right. I, Eternal Sunshine, I would say. Oh, I take it back. You're right. I would say it's the kind of thing that my parents have heard of right. and my, I think you they've seen. You don't think that that's Michelle Gondry, though? Oh, yeah. It's um, yeah, hard that's to say. Like, he, he was in his it's very it. Kaufman, it's, though. It's, oh, yeah, of course. It's I a mean, mouth. But That's something we, yeah. we've all said about Kaufman when we read a Kaufman script. This is very Kaufman. But we're here, we're here to nerd it up. Well, usually there's a character named Kaufman in it who says, this is very Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to nerd it up about his densest, least accessible, most overlooked film, which I do think is a true visionary masterpiece, um, Synecdoche, New York. And in a nutshell, uh, it's about Philip Seymour Hoffman, who plays a man, I mean, you could compare it to Serious Man, a man who seems to have a cursed, terrible life, or at least that's certainly how he views it. It's up for debate whether it had to be that way. Um, he's a famous play director. He, he, As his life gets worse and worse and worse, he also gets the chance, like an unlimited budget, to make a play. He decides to make the ultimate play that will encompass all of life. It ends up becoming increasingly nested meta-narratives where people play him playing him in the play that is about him. Mm-hmm. That also, As he plays the person who's now playing right. him. Yeah. Outside, the world has ended. There's been some kind of apocalypse. The play ends with his a person who's playing him directing him playing that person directing him to die so he does credits so so very holding on to clear and holding on to the the person who's directing him's mother yes Mm -hmm. okay well we will unpack the final moment in detail i'm not trying to rush us to the final moment but but i needed people who have no idea what they're talking about to know at least like Oh, okay. So it's some kind of artsy, hyper-symbolics, you know, it's not naturalistic. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with here. And in between, 
all the secrets of life unfold before you. Yeah. <laughs> so to layer onto that, how I describe this film is it's a movie uh, where the plot is almost irrelevant. It doesn't matter about the mm-hmm. characters. The idea of the film is what I find myself attached to. And it's the idea that the beginning is in the end. Uh, the, the name Synecdoche is a word that means uh, encompasses the whole and the single. At the same time, yeah, like the new, like the Los Angeles Lakers or something like right, that. Right, so like if the Lakers go one. The, the, the Lakers, Lakers are won. a team, but they're also the whole team. Yeah. If you say Los Angeles won last night, you actually mean the basketball yes, team, better. the Lakers. Yeah. But uh, you what also I mean heard in everyone. Is, if the ship captain says all hands on deck, he means your whole body. Right. So now people know what the next key is, mm-hmm. and the movie never explains what oh, it is. Is it about all of New York? <laughs> but. It's not okay. I understand that any insights, and, but you have to know this as a director. You can boil any filmic symbol down to, oh, is friendship good? And like oh, wink at it. Mm-hmm. And if you ask Kaufman what's about to him, it's uh, he wanted to make a movie about the fact that we're all going to die, the fact mm-hmm. that we are living with this, mm-hmm. all of us. Yeah. Everyone listening, you're all going to die, and we all are pretending like we're not. And that is stated explicitly, and that it is one of the oldest, most banal questions, only because death has been with humanity forever. It is a banal question that I think that is done answers, so beautifully. Yes, it's in the execution of the answer. And the it's also for nerds. And I get that that is an appeal to Coppin, because in the same way Arrested Development is not everyone's cup of tea, because it's there's like... 40% of the jokes would work in any sitcom, and the rest are for comedy nerds who are paying close attention. There's so much shit in this that it's like a Where's Waldo for people who like film symbols, where you're just like, oh, that means that and that. Oh, that could be interpreted mm-hmm. one of five ways, which also in itself is a synecdoche in a Schrodinger's cat sort of sense. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the, I wrote this note down in the, there's a moment where it's in between. Uh, no, it's the fact that, okay, so in the final moment, the woman doesn't say, I'm the actress you hired to be in the dream and play Ellen's mom, who you're now playing. She says, I play the mom in Ellen's dream, which was not look, didn't look like it was shot on a set. So for no, the first time in the movie, someone is now breaking the actual fourth wall and saying to the audience, I'm the actress from this movie you're watching. And from that point forward, everything that happens is a quantum wave function because... It cannot be, it will never collapse until the moment of death. Oh, and, we have and, it is, and it is much worse. Than, there is, oh my there God. is, there is literally no way to describe. I'm watching this movie and I had a thought in my head and I went, God, am I overthinking it? And I went, Oh, no, it's a Kaufman movie. There's no way you can overthink it. Right. There's no such thing in any of his films. I don't know if you ever saw Anomalisa. That's uh, yeah. the one missing link. I, I, am dying I adore to see. Anomalisa. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think it's, uh, did you see it? Abe? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, I thought the 3D printing concept was going to be like great. Right, right. Turns out it actually was part of the film and it made sense but in the I medium. I thought that was the coolest. It's a Roger, of it. Roger Ebert, I think, I can't remember who said it, said Kaufman may not be the best writer, but he's the best script writer. Right. Yeah. And mm. it's because he understands the medium of film and he and writes he, for the medium. Well, he's constantly flexing the muscles of the medium to an extent that no single writer has. I mean, there's people like 
fucking James Joyce wrote like Finnegan's yes. Wake in like 23 languages equally inaccessible yeah. and it's like let, there's books written about like let me just tell you how good this book is because you can't understand it unless you know 23 languages <laughs> yeah. and, and, and th- this is, is a fine. film this is a film for people who That's, like deconstructing yeah. and there's no way we can't have moments it, we're gonna have to choose a moment and decide we're not gonna digress because as an example I'm watching this last night to prep for this and I see there's a scene. We're not going to talk about it right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to mention the scene and what happened, uh, where Hazel says she's reading the trial. And I go, oh, fu-. this is the first time I've watched this movie a lot. I go, the trial, Kafka? Yeah. Oh, my God. That changes everything. Like, this is this moment of, like, because inside They're of- They're all going to turn into in, bugs. Inside of, inside of Kafka's The Trial, which I, I adore that Great book. Great book. It's a book that was written posthumously. Was that chosen for that reason, or was it chosen because of the story of the actual right. trial, where he's going from building to building to building, trying to? Oh yeah, that's true. Or, or is it also that inside of the trial, there's another book that is being talked about, where the priest talks to him and says that right. there's the gate. I and I'm just like, I'm now not talking about the. But film. also the fact that they created a nested thought is itself a reference to the nested structure. And of it's the movie. one sentence. And I do think that the whole point of, I used to do this all the time when I was a kid, is imagining God or whatever you want to call it, any entity that can look in my mind and know what I'm thinking. And I would always get stuck in this house of mirrors where like, but I know that they know what I'm thinking, but they know that I know. And you get this house of mirrors effect. And I think Kaufman knows what I'm talking about and is trying to apply that to death. You know, humans are all nested reflections of each other. Everyone is everyone, which is a line said twice in the film. And yet you are also trapped alone on your own journey. You will die alone. You're and not the yet, star of your own play. Everyone's the star of each other's plays. And it's. And yet I don't think he's saying Caden is right, ultimately. I think till the last moment of his life, Caden is choosing to focus on the negative side of the fact that we'll all eventually die. But Kaufman is, also shows that there is uh, a positive side to death. This is why... It, I'm just going to have to debate every fucking thing you say at this oh, point. Oh, I disagree with that. No, I don't necessarily disagree, but it's uh, we could take the first five minutes of this movie and deconstruct how the entire film is done and how everything means. Specifically, my thing with Caden is I don't think he looks at the worst in things. I think what he's doing is he makes uh, small problems gigantic, conversely for his wife, Adele, who makes giant things tiny. And so it's that juxtaposition throughout the entire film we see and his way of making small things gigantic, slowly he actually over time starts to see actually that it is the small things. Right, but also, right. Okay, and so, so my he starts on building that... and so he has the moment where yeah. he, the actor who's playing him says that his wife Adele is the true artist who was unafraid yes. to confront it because she's able to look truth, see big things as very small and able to continue just living life. As we see, she does. We don't actually see her again. She dies almost off screen, like nothing. Right. So how how does her life and that uh, coalesce with Caden as he... Uh, God, there's no way to describe All right. this movie. May I respond? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. So I see that layer, but for me, the more cogent layer is I do think Caden is someone who has major depressive disorder because he very systematically only wants things he doesn't have. That's why he cares about Olive only after she's out of her life and doesn't care about his second daughter, alternates between whether he wants Hazel and Adele, depending on who he's with, wants to be dead when he's alive, and I would argue wants to be alive when he's dead. Um, But I do think the big small thing is there, and I also got to say, burn on Hereditary, 
like exact same imagery that yes. Hereditary used. Um, but I thought I feel, and it's highly interpretable. So we're not really arguing, like you said. Everyone's like taking no, there's different no, pieces there's of the no, cheesecake. There's no right way to look at this movie. But I, the message I got from the idea that he keeps thinking he knows how to do the play, and ultimately what he lands on is. The play can only reflect life if it expands to encompass the entire Earth and everyone on Earth as a cast member. And to me, that's the same as arriving at a central truth I have arrived at a lot in my life, which is it sounds dumb to just say it is what it is, but that's a profound truth. Everything in life, if you analyze it ultimately, uh, there is only context. You know what I mean? Everything is a unique thing happening now and it manifests in a unique way. And all our brains try to do is compartmentalize and make rubrics to figure the world out by applying rules of thumb. But that's not true. The only actual true wisdom would have to encompass every instance of everything in the universe. And we see Caden throughout the entire film. He shifts from a, a hyper-analytical overuse of everyone. It's one of my favorite scenes. It, the whole movie's filled with my favorite scenes. I'm going to say it a lot. I apologize ahead of time for being that guy. Uh, when he's talking to the young actor playing Willie Loman. Mm-hmm. And he says to him, uh, try to keep in mind a young person playing Willie Loman thinks he is only pretending to be at the end of a lifetime filled with despair. But the tragedy is that we, the audience, know that you, the young actor, will end up in this very place of desolation. And yeah. that overthinking of everything. And then at the end of the film, he sees the same young actor. And I just and- have to say that's a symptom of depression because he's not assuming just that the guy will die. But that this actor will grow to be as bitter and lonely as he is, that is a depressive point And on of top view. of it, he's telling him how to be the young actor, which the guy right. is a young actor. So how, theoretically, however he and is, love, is the he way. He constantly tells that guy, just walk like yourself, and the guy can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's, that's how he ends it is he goes, that's not natural. Just walk like, I just want you to be yourself. Yeah. That's what he says at the don't, end. Because that's don't what, take a note and turn into a completely different fucking person. Yeah. As well oh, as thank God. We got to let Abe talk. Yeah. For a so, sorry. Abe. No, 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 no I, right. I'm enjoying this. Uh, I... <laughs> I don't like the film as much as this is two in a row and I feel bad because it's not always the case. Uh, the most truest thing in this movie is happens right away, uh, which is when he's listening to um, the radio in like the first sequence and uh, the woman, the French woman comes on and is describing her art on whatever art radio station he's listening to. Poetry. Yeah. He's reading a real poem, yeah. famous this is also like Moby Dick levels of literary references. Right. Oh, right. this, it's this like, whole thing. It's a real is. poem. Yeah, it's getting real McSweet. Whoever has here. no house now will never have one. Uh, Whoever is alone now and she will says, stay alone. Fall is a melancholy season because it's the realization you are no longer in bloom. Every day a reminder that all you have left is to deteriorate. And uh, I thought that that's cool, especially because the, the film itself is 2X. So you have, even though it's not doing like a whole year, it's mm-hmm. kind of doing like in terms of getting to know Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. We we go in we go from like spring into summer and then we go into fall and then winter, uh, and that's kind of like technically the, the movie happens in the same minute. Sure, <laughs> sure. But or like the, like Genesis, <laughs> like Genesis can be interpreted. This fucking, book, this fucking movie like, is. No, 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 no. But it's like I would say technically all you it. can say is it either happened in one minute. 
or he happened to die on the same minute. It happened in the same moment because the movie starts at 745 and the last thing we see is graffiti on the wall that says 745. Right, but that doesn't mean that. Like in, in real life, if I was born and died at 745, I, I don't think we can have a discussion apart. about right. real life. Well, here's the thing. Like, here's what I'm getting to is there are good parts of this. You gave a very compelling argument for like the is what it, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Constantly unhappy because he has some kind of part of him that is is thriving only when he's in need of something. But I, I get that. Yeah. And, 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 and he's, and he's reaching out early on about sadness. The it's, biggest need he's going to want is going to be the the best art, the great American novel, the great play, you know, or whatever. So it needs to be perfect. And it it drives him nuts. Like and it's Sullivan's like, Travel. Yeah, and at one point they're like, we it worked wants, on it in 17 years. When are we going to get an audience in here? That's... So it's the self-deterioration that we do when we think we're not in fall, when we think we're in summer. So at the same time, the, the way time passes in this film itself is something that's worth discussing. Because it's not that 17 years pass, it's not that 20 years pass. Uh, the way that it's shot and the way that it's filmed, uh, for the viewer, two hours pass. Uh, it's, the film starts on October 12th, and then uh, when he picks up the newspaper, it's October 14th. And then it says uh, right. the milk is uh, expires October twentieth. He says it's gone bad. Oh, uh, he sees goes back to another newspaper. It's even later in the month, and then suddenly it's after Halloween. Well, also the date on the paper doesn't even correspond to the date he says it is. No, because yeah. everything it's his time is fluid. His somewhere. his time is fluid, and it's it's a play. Uh, Coffin's talked a bit about this. It's it's a play on how our memories work, and so he has that early scene is basically a sort of representation of what every breakfast was for years for him, mm -hmm. which was the wife with the daughter, and then he's in there with the newspaper reading banal, shitty stories, and how our mind... We don't remember every breakfast. That's not how it works. We don't remember one breakfast all the way through. We remember an amalgamation of yeah. them, and we get to experience this amalgamated memory all the way through, and that... That's important because as we start talking about uh, Olive's deathbed scene, for example, where she says uh, you had a homosexual relationship with Eric, that happened. We can talk about it. Uh, he did actually have a repressed homosexual relationship with a guy named Eric, especially when he was Ellen, which is a sentence that doesn't make sense to anyone. Well, yeah, but it's the question, is it... Was he Ellen was, or not? No, is it Eric from the scene with the actress who plays Ellen in it? Or is it Eric from the book Winky? There's three Erics. I forget the third, there, but yeah. there's three potential Erics. Yeah. It probably wasn't the one from the book Winky because he killed himself at five years old. But he, the writer but of Winky up, wrote... He's a, at a yes. bus stop and they end up finding out there's a, nov a novelization being made into a film that stars a guy that looks, that looks exactly, exactly like King. him called Winky and Eric. And you're like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, the way time passes is intended to be uh, the fault of our memories, how we perceive things, how we look back, how mm. we look forward. Right. It's intended to be throughout very much a play on how life passes us, uh, which is to me... If there's an underlying thing and it's, uh, you know, I watch this movie, I cry. I'm a, mm -hmm. just a sap for very few movies. This one gets to me. And it's just literally the passage of time, how we lose friends, how people move in and out of our lives when we don't even realize it. it we did the thing. Did they do the thing Is uh, with Caden? Did his wife leave him or did he leave his wife? That's not Truth is not clear cut like that. The reality right. is we lose relationships. They come in and out. We make our way through and eventually they die. Uh, like it says at the end, where is everyone? Oh, mostly dead or Some gone. Yeah, Some gone. I love that. But I love the time stuff. I just can't get on. Like I hate, I don't hate, but I, I don't really 
fuck with act two in this. I, I don't like it so much just because it's so much about um, someone who's just completely run by insecurity uh, that it just feels too self-indulgent. Like I love a Kaufman it when, film that's self-indulgent. Right. Uh, I love it when it's like making like your comment about the breakfast. I'm like, that is something that's relatable for everyone. I don't need to be making a, like a self-aware novel or something like that in order to prove that to you. And yet you love Finnegan's Wake. I don't love Finnegan's Oh, Wake. you used to talk about it for years. And I, years I like in Ulysses, that's but one. that's because I took but a class. But that's very inaccessible, too. That's very inaccessible. <laughs> yeah. That's also because I was a child and I, I read it and was like, this is real craft happening. I just think it's fun to learn things. Like when you get a companion guide. Yeah. If you uh, crack a new secret, if you're that type of person, it's just fun to go, oh, a connection. No, I know I'm what they meant. Yeah. In no way negative against the analysis like that's happening movies, here. Right. I'm just saying, like, if the analysis is. Like, it, it has well, so a let's, character let's, that I don't know. No, 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 it's my turn. It's All my right. turn. Uh, because I've been holding this since Abe last went. The, uh, to bounce off, I, th- I think I can better elucidate quickly why it is what it is, is so profound, is that. The movie is not just showing loneliness and that death severs connection. It's showing that in life we sever connection and it is difficult to fight that trend because the reality, uh, the manifest reality of things, as Brooks just pointed out, is filtered both through our perceptive organs and then storytelling because we only encode memories as stories. They're not fully reliable. So how do you find a state of connection to anything or are you just a vat in a jar? And I would argue that a lot like Kafka or Brecht or Artaud, who they reference in this, their answer is kind of on the existentialist side. It's like, well, if you, if you find a way to feel that your life has meaning, then it does. Because the underlying meaninglessness of sure, everything means sure. you can impart meaning or not. Um, so I just want to, I just think it is what it is, is profound. So I'm going to go back. I, and he's not just oh. saying it and is that what is it is. The antagonist. He's highlighting how the human experience puts barriers in the ways of you seeing what is. I so, see And that. to go back, uh, one of the things you said earlier, again, this is going to happen a lot. I have a feeling through this. When you said earlier that he gets to the end of his discussion and he says at uh, the end of the film and he's like, oh, I finally know how to do it. Uh, my interpretation is that uh, hate. Caden and all of that is very much about chasing the dragon effectively that we'll never actually, he's trying to find a thing that we'll never be able to have. Just like how we spent our whole lives trying to be the best self we can be, but we'll always be flawed till we die. So the reason I think this is there's the scene where Hazel mentions the trial. The trial is Kafka inside of that is actually a book. There's a scene where a priest tells a story of the, it's called Before the Law, which actually was a published a separate This is novel. the finale of the book, right? I think it's yes, when he's it's, in jail. It's, it's, yeah. It is. Uh, the priest says basically the story about a man goes, I want to find the law, and the guard's there. He's like, uh, you, I won't let you in. Mm-hmm. Uh, not yet, but eventually. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, oh, cool, I'll wait. And he's like, not yet. And the guy like waits and waits and waits. And then uh, he's like, oh, I'm going to die now. Can I get in now? And he's like, no, nah, this door was just for you. And he locks it behind him and he leaves and the guy dies. Yeah. And the, the idea being that this idealist system, which is what Caden lives in, is like I'm, I'm a bit of a materialist person myself. The idealist system is about finding things we can't actually have, we can't actually hold on to. And Caden's chasing that his whole life. And his realization at the end is just he dies having completely always been unfulfilled from the beginning. 
Yes, and I do think, and I think it's supported merely by the fact that it's written by Charlie Kaufman, that there are through lines of a more, of concrete depressive disorder. For sure. Or like, I just think he has it, and the unreliable narrator stuff is definitely filtered specifically through that disorder. As sure. I, my favorite symbol of it is when he says, here's what's going to happen. Every day you'll get a new slip of paper to the, his actors, yeah. who are now in the thousands. <laughs> and it will tell you what happened to you that day. And he starts to write and it pans out and you see millions of slips. And he describes it essentially as anything that could happen to a person. But if you read them, it's only bad things that could happen to a person. Yeah, he's like the worst God. He doesn't <laughs> conceive that God could have an upturn in your life. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look no further than the fact that in the movie he has... 90 different ways of like his body deteriorating. Yet he, he shit's gray at the yet end. Yet he thinks <laughs> I've he, never seen your shit gray before. Yeah, it's new. That's new. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's definitely a very like palpable like like he cares about other people dying but he doesn't care about himself. And yet he propounds that yet he's he, terrified of yes. it and it's the core of his Ex- being. Exactly. Well, That's it, the, is it that he cares about other people dying or that he's it, there's a scene where he gets a phone call about seven words are said ish. Like you don't hear him, you just hear and then he rolls over and I find it to be almost comedic. It's hilarious. And where he says, That was my father died. They said he had cancer throughout his body. He went in, he didn't know, his finger hurt. It was the most painful death they'd ever seen. He called out my name. I wasn't there. Like it's like they said they it, fucking didn't says, do that. They didn't they tell you that because he only yeah. heard for a second. Yeah. And he goes, "They said it was the saddest, most pathetic deathbed speech any of them had ever heard." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it cuts to his mom, and his mom goes, "There was so little left of him. They had to pack the rest of the coffin with cotton." And then it cuts and to his mom. It's this little baby coffin. He has a child size. His dad's very a child size coffin. Uh, which is. Uh, so I like that parallel also. And once again, it's all that. Like to me, this movie is about kind of something different or I focused on something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Michelle Williams character, Claire, his second wife. Yeah. And like, she, she's all about him. She's like, what are you doing next? What? Oh, that's so perfect. That's such a good note. You're such a genius. And then they're walking out in the alley and she said, my mom died. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh my God, why didn't we like talk and she about goes that like, first? No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, it sucks, but whatever. And yeah. it's just like, I don't know who to blame in that situation, but I know that I can blame safely the the high artistry conglomerate that makes up people who want to talk about things that are like higher than the normal conversation of pulp. Right. You know, the high art kind of genres. Right, like because that, you even see him try to... He has this abstract idea that Hazel is the one he was destined to be with. Right. And when they meet, their conversations are bizarrely hollow because they don't actually yeah. have log log time together. They've just flirted and I think superficially. He's, I think he loves Hazel because she has the thing he doesn't really have, which is like... Optimism? She moves. Yes, she moves into a house that's on fire eternally and says... Well, I'm really just worried about dying in the fire. Well, how you choose your death is an important thing. Yes. Yeah. And there's a dude who lives in the basement, and you're like, that seems like also bad. Then it turns out she has a long, rewarding marriage to the dude in the basement. Right. And I, I have to say, though, and I, lives like a long, healthy life. So I, I really got from that this time that it's like, in this one way, she's the anti-Caden because in yeah. your life, sometimes I do feel cursed. But and you can and it exacerbates that you perceive someone you know as like, and they take fucking risks all the time, and none of this bad shit happens to them. Mm-hmm. She like represents that. Yes, everyone lives in a burning house, 
you can only really put it out of your mind. That's you have to do that. Right. Well, it's, it's uh, it, it all depends on your outlook of the second half of your life. How yeah. when you s- start slipping into fall and winter, you can deny it and be scared of it, or you can accept it and keep you know because she's trying to make positive. Die moments. of smoke inhalation, yeah. but way later than you would expect, and she lived a much nicer life than Caden. Did. Yes. Well, we don't. <laughs> We don't know that. Or so that's his that imagination. Can be a fabrication. This is, I go back, the reason he fell in love with her and says she's the one mm-hmm. is she's also the only one of the women he never got to know. And as Adele says, very pointedly, oh, I guess everyone becomes disappointing the more that you know them. Yeah. And he, and he always wants whatever's on the opposite side. He says he'd rather be a woman because he's a man. Then he gets to be a woman and he's not notably happier. No. <laughs> no, because is that, yeah. And I could see how it's, because everything is through his lens, the whole entire movie. For all we know, none of this happens. Like you said, it's all a minute or whatever. Fucking <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, but uh, like. It was all a dream. Yeah, it was all a dream. But uh, it, it it is relevant to mention that it could be his version of that. Like he put her on a pedestal and said, this is, she represents optimism and I hate her for it. But I also hate that I hate myself. And that I can't And I hate it. myself yeah. and all these things. So it's a cleaner narrative for him yes. to be like, she went away and I can just believe that she made a great thing, a mountain yeah. out of a molehill, and that's just what she always did. Yeah. When and he finally sees her happy, know, she though, had a terrible life. when he finally sees her happy with her kids and family, he decides to kill himself. Right. And then later, yeah. Sammy. When, when Sammy, he, Caden yeah. 2, whatever. Caden uh, Prime. Yeah, when, when Caden Prime is with her, and he finally has his moment, actually, of pretty good happiness, Yeah. Uh, he decides to kill himself. Sammy, who's playing Caden... But because, sort of, but as a point. That's because in that moment she goes back to him. I also think it's very uh. intentional that she goes back to, quote-unquote, the real Caden. Because Sammy, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman does not smile. There's one light chuckle. I noted that. Um, Sammy smiles and then suddenly stops. I think that's a code for when he's in and out of character. So you kind of get the impression that on some level there was some way where the real Sammy and the real Hazel connected in a way that Caden could never... Yes, and that's so. It's like even sadder on that level. I also to go back to the balcony scene mm -hmm. where Sammy is telling Caden, "Your wife's a better artist than you could ever hope to be. Your shitty ex-wife." I love how that's dual interpretive because your interpretation was correct. Is that well? That could be Sammy dropping carrot. Like Sammy really thinks that, but also. Sammy is playing Caden and knows that Caden hates himself, so that is what Caden would say to himself. It is a ver- <laughs> it is what a version of Caden would say to himself. Yes. And that's so again to to Abe's point, this movie you could bifurcate very cleanly. Mm-hmm. It is a beginning and opening that I think is a very good character study, like much more grounded. Then the moment that that play hits, every it becomes magical realism. Yeah, it's a tesseract of uh, one person. And there's a million ways to go over that part. But, um, oh God, there's a million ways to go over that. I think that's, in a way, I think that that's kind of what Charlie Kaufman is trying to say, is that the second half of the movie, the fall-winter months, uh, you're going to take however you want from this mess, this maze of logic and emotions, whatever you want to grab on, and I'm going to put it all there, and it's going to be constant and unwavering and include everything and be unsure of what it's saying. So you can extrapolate the important parts yourself because that's what he's saying with the film. Now, that's cool in theory and all, but it also makes for (laughs) 
boring fucking scenes. Well, it's, it's, that's where but, I got to push back because that thing we haven't highlighted at all because we're all nerds for meaning mm-hmm. is, and you can disagree and say that's why you thought it was boring. I actually also think it's freaking hilarious. Me too. Like I it is hilarious. Constantly. Uh, just so we don't go the whole thing without like doing due diligence to Charlie Kaufman knows how to write funny dialogue. Yeah. I'll skip to the first one I have highlighted. The doctor says, therapist, we need to send you to a, oh, a neurologist. Doctor. Why? I thought, or, uh, uh, ophthalmologist. I, or, yeah. You, what yeah. a neurologist like brain stuff. What? Op- we need to send you to the ophthalmologist. Oh, I thought you said neurologist cut to him at the ophthalmologist. A lot. First line in the scene is, I think we need to send you to a neurologist. <laughs> just, yeah. So it's like the deadliness was held. Well, you bay, know, the, the eyes are part of the brain. Yeah. Are they? I love it in the car. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, are they? That doesn't seem true. Why would I say it if it wasn't, wasn't true? true? Just doesn't feel right. As in morally correct or accurate? Accurate, I guess. Interesting. Makes a note I in his chart. I love that. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's and good the, dialogue. The, my favorite, the therapist one, is uh, the wife says, I thought I'm I sorry. fantasized about Caden dying. Can I say something just oh awful? Of course, it's therapy. I fantasized about Caden dying so I could just get a fresh start. Oh, Caden, I'm sorry. That's awful. <clears throat> well, Caden, did that make you feel awful? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Great. Good. Good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or when she's on the, he's, he's reading her book on the airplane. Mm-hmm. She's narrating it, and it, it goes, turn to your left. He turns to his left. She's sitting across the aisle from him, narrating the book live for him. She's right. Tyler she then Yeah, she then flirts with him. Yeah. He rebukes her. He goes back to reading, and it says, well, you're not interested. I'm not interested in you. The book ends now. And that's it. The rest, the rest of the pages of are blank. Yeah. Boy, you guys would love Dave Eggers. <laughs> yes. I, well, 100 Years of Solitude is my favorite book of all time. Yeah. And it would, shit like it's that great. would fit right yeah. home. Because that's a scene right, right out of um, a heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius. Yes. Where he like looks to his left and there's a motorcyclist and is like, you know you're not going to do well. You're like Your life right. is fucked now that your parents are dead. And he's like, oh. How do you know about that? Uh, I like the line just because it's one of those things about like I always not having a child of my own, but I like to always imagine having a child as little <laughs> like idiosyncrasies of language with with his uh, Catherine uh, Keener and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman with Olive, little Olive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want blood. I don't, I don't want, want blood. blood. You don't have blood, honey. I don't think you should tell her that she doesn't have blood. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just a good thing. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And then Claire says, but that's so great, you know, because knowing that you don't know, that's the first step to knowing, you know? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There is Which there's so of, much good those dialogue. Those are just like wonderful it's, games of frankly, language. Frankly, they remind me of Coen Brothers dialogue. Yeah, they absolutely and that's do. that's the highest praise I can give yeah, to dialogue. Yeah, no, the, the, <laughs> the playfulness of the language and the humor of that is something that will always, I'll always be like, yeah. he knows how to write. At Claire's mom's funeral, she says, this is like, this is the one-two punch of like, that's so true and makes me so sad. And then it's immediately funny. She sobs for like three seconds and then goes, I used to be a baby. And he goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> for your babiness. Well, for, the, when, for when the he, fact when that gets, we all have to yeah, age. Yeah. Yeah. When he finally finds where Olive has apparently been hiding after he chases Maria. Yeah, let's get into that scene. Yeah, so it, uh, he find, his daughter's been taken away by Adele. He Or it hasn't, and he left them, however you want to interpret it. He finds Maria, he chases her down, gets in there, he finds this like torn down garbage filled dump, but he sees the one gift he gave, which the pink box, the pink box with the nose on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead of just crying, he bends back and he pulls out eye drops. 
And prescription eye drops. They eye say drops. like, uh, well, because the doctor earlier has said you'll lose the imitation, ability to salivate. And yeah, cry. it's like imitation tears. It's or imitation something. tears yeah. because he can't cry now. And, and yet this is the part of the movie where, where he, he, should he should cry. Yeah. So he and does. And then it cuts to him immediately bawling his uh, eyes out uh, and uh, screaming. And because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's hard he's such a good actor yeah. oh, it's, that if you cut that shot, it makes you cry. With that shot, it makes you laugh, which itself is Brechtian and makes you realize the grammar of oh. filmmaking and storytelling, like draws attention mm. to it again. It's beautiful. It, he does that uh, really throughout the entire film. There's so many little nods. Something I wanted to bring up that I read is that Charlie Kaufman, and this may be my favorite thing about his particular brand of eccentricity. So like adaptation, he was really asked to write an adaptation, a spec script adapting the orchid thief. Right. Instead, if you know, if you've seen it, he brought you this crazy meta narrative about him split into two separate people trying to write the adaptation where he actually slanders the author of the real book, like implies that she's like sex crazed and mm-hmm. steals orchids, which is all fabricated. Right. And it involves, of course, the level where you realize one brother wrote the first part of the movie and the other brother wrote the- blah, 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 blah. He has said, and I don't know how much he exaggerates his own mythos, but this really made a lot of things align to me. He said in some interviews that this screenplay came from someone asking him to write a straight genre horror film. And that makes so much sense to me because it's, and it's this scene, the, the uh, olive scene is the one that I was really like, that total, I can see Charlie Kaufman sitting in his study going, a clown that slits your throat is not what I'm scared of. What would I be scared of? Having to write a horror That movie? my daughter grows up to be a famous 10-year-old prostitute right. who yeah. hates me. And, it's, and, I, and there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And that scene destroys me, dude. Because it's brutal. It's her extracting, she says, before we die, I just want to be able to forgive you. Yeah. But to forgive you, you have to admit you did this, this, and this, and this. All this evil shit that she thinks he did and we don't know if he really did or not. And he, he finally pushes it out of himself. He goes, okay. And, and she says, it's such a powerful Please moment. forgive me. Oh. And she says no. No. And then dies. And dies. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And says like, you know your ex-wife's shitty friend you hate? There she is. She's been fucking me since I was like seven years old. Yeah. She taught me to be a woman. And he's like, God. And like the idea that you're always going to be sick, but you're never going to die soon. It's just going to get worse and worse. And you don't know what the deal is. Uh, the faucet straight up. Sm- I love that the faucet hits him in the head very early in the movie. Blood spurting. And she says, don't look at it. You look horrible. And he reflexively immediately grabs the mirror and looks at it. He wants to know what the damage is. And yet, when he goes to the doctor and gets the stitches, he said, I'd prefer if there wasn't a scar. Well, sure. We'd all like to be impervious to the consequences of tragedy. Mm -hmm. But, you know. Well, and and, uh, the the other thing I love about the olive moment sort of throughout is... uh, she obviously is growing up at a normal pace of a human being because she's a human being. Mm-hmm. But as he's reading her diary, she is eternally that little girl until he sees that she's an older woman. And at that point, the diary, which is a child's diary written by a child, is now voiced by the adult woman. Which logically can't have new entries because she left that house. And, and it, there's no time, way right. she's talking about how great Germany is and how she's living there and how much she hated Papa and how he smelled funny and... It's so it's either odd... the notebook where it's an actual magic time diary where her inner monologues appear, or it's what he thinks she thinks, yeah. <laughs> which is more viable. I also love that it starts so slowly because 
the first thing is that she gets a full body tattoo at age 10. Oh, my God. And he's against that. And you are, too, because she's 10, but it's also not where it will eventually reach. It's not like the pinnacle. It's the first step of the horror. But ultimately, she dies of the tattoo because it turns out the tattoo was poison. So he was like, I was right and I could have stopped this or it's all in his head. But this either way, and again, it makes we sense. go to one of the core messages of the whole film, <laughs> yeah. which is the end is built into the beginning. Right. When Hazel buys her house, it's on fire. It's not that she buys a house on fire. It's not that she buys a house with the dude in the basement. Conceptually, she does. And that's what we see. But what is happening is the decisions we make. We don't know that the end is already built into it. She bought the house. She's going to die in that house. Yeah. She bought the house. And it happens to be that the realtor's son is around and she marries that guy because it's the inevitabilities, the sheer momentum of life keeps yeah. going. Uh, and that's it, the tattoo kills his daughter. It's the end is built into the beginning throughout. Pure. Also, just if you're a Philip Seymour Hoffman fan, though, like Catherine Keener, I like just as much, but she doesn't get as much play in this. Hoffman is just a joy to watch. Like, even if you agree with Abe that it's kind of boring, you got to watch the scenes like, the scene where he's, he's in amazing. Germany and confronts Maria and attacks her in public <laughs> and goes like with a... Oh, yeah. I that's mean, it's a, Mystic River shit. It's my daughter in there. Yeah. Um, but Hoffman's better than, you know, Sean Yeah, Penn. no, I'm, I'm not trying to fault the movie. I just think it's funny that... I, I just think that there's just now a... Um, kind of in the same way that we do to Tarantino where it's just like you watch a movie and you have the expectation of like, all right, when is someone just going to randomly get shot out at like the right of frame? Like what, what the expectation of violence, he's created a grammar for us to watch Tarantino movies in the same way. Charlie Kaufman has trained us to watch Charlie Kaufman. Movies. He has his own sure. language. Yep. For and, sure. I, and I think that that's fine. I and think it's, it's fine to have one academic language. It's just so highly academic that yeah. it's, you need to, to, I don't know. I just, I like to knock people off their horses a little sure. bit in terms of that. But I think it's might not that. saying something drastically different than a, even the, the way it makes a big deal about how much it's not pulp. No, it's, it's just crafted. And I think that's the point of adaptation good. because adaptation yeah. is about his desire to make it in this business by selling out and his desire to achieve the abstract, perfect art form and how you must eventually just synthesize right. them in some ratio. I think he's constantly writing about that. Right. And, and well, and we I just see think all the detail level work, the detail level is just great. because that's what he likes to do. Like, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? I don't think it makes it deeper than a simpler movie that had the same point. I just like it because I can nerd out about it. Can, yeah. And, and within the it context the of it being a and Kaufman movie, you get to yeah. do things that the layers. One of the things that's a very common theme is the roles we play in the faces we wear kind of yeah. in all of his movies in yeah. some way. And this movie is about that in a much more outward fashion and the roles. Who am I? What character am I playing today? Who am I going to pretend to be? Who am I going to, which Brooks is going to be on the Michael Swain podcast, mm -hmm. which Michael Swain is going to be here yeah. because we have, I'm this way with this person. I'm a different person with this guy. It's a, there's a natural reality to how we be as people mm -hmm. that I think Kaufman has always tried to enact. I think this is his yeah. best version of that. Abe may disagree, uh, but I think this is very much that same core message. <laughs> Sorry. Plus, it's just fun to get to write synopsis of stuff that's true that's like, uh, at the venue, Claire tries to imply to Caden that Sammy is a sexual predator, but Sammy, playing Caden, tells her that Sammy's the best actor in the play. Zoom out to show Caden, who has handed uh, Claire her latest tragedy slip, which says, you think you might be gay. 
And she seems to drop character and says, fuck this, both to Sammy and Caden. This pulls out further to reveal that Caden is giving them notes on how well they just played this scene in which she breaks mm. character and gives Caden notes. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. And when he's standing outside of the fake Claire apartment and he says, this is all lot after they break Wall up. Wall it all up. Wall it all up. And it becomes a city. It becomes a city inside of us. It's just... Well, the play in New York become one and the same like a synecdoche is. <laughs> and, but there's always the warehouse over the top, which but it's I also, adore. The title is also, I think, saying, yes, and every movie is trying to be a simulacrum of life, which is too vast to condense into a story. And every life is trying to be more than can be fit into one life. Everything's in reference to something larger because that's the way our brains happen to work. We see everything mm. as reference to something. Speaking and of you, simulacrum... The names of the play are another wonderful... They get increasingly stupid. I love it. <laughs> the tra Transmissible Diseases of Cattle is... A, infectious Diseases of, of Cattle, cattle is, is the final title. The final title, and I just love... But before that, uh, an obscure moon lighting an obscure world. And she's what? like, I think it's a little much. Yeah, it well, is. How about Simulacrum? That's the only time he chuckles after yeah. he and Hazel make love. Yeah, uh, it's probably too it's much. It's very... The discreet charm <laughs> of the bourgeoisie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, damn. I could go forever. Okay, so we can gauge our shit. We got 15 minutes left, roughly. Okay. Brooks, I know how much this means to you. Is there like a new thread you want to start on or a scene? I, we got. Let's. Thing... We should probably talk about the end scene. Yeah, I, okay. I think it's. Uh, I want. I would love to talk about the end scene, and then I, I, I did a lot of reading and research for this, trying to see uh, who wrote what, what people did analysis. Because it. it's a, it's the kind of movie. My favorite thing I read is actually by Roger Ebert. So I want to be able to make sure we get back to that. But anyway, we get back to the ending. Uh, the film, everything starts falling apart. You see him. Eventually, he becomes Ellen. Uh, he becomes the cleaning woman. Mm -hmm. uh, his ex-wife, Adele, has died. He kind of just lives in this walk-in closet now. Right. And, and Ellen an has, actress who he previously hired to play Ellen, who's now playing him. Who's wonderful, by the way. Directs him. She's, She's great. Diane but West. I just love yeah. this meta aspect. She's directing him on what Ellen feels, but she also is not the original, original Ellen. So she's a conduit. She's ex she's getting in touch with another character and immediately just feeding that character out to the next person in, in the, the same way that Sammy is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they're, I mean, Sam, just real quick, Sammy is one of my favorite sort of character actors. This is my yeah. favorite role of his, but being the bad guy in Last Tom Action Noonan. Hero is yeah. amazing. And then going from that to this, I think is incredible. Oh, he's got range. Tom like, Noonan's dude's got ridiculous. Range. Um, but so it, uh, it's, Ellen's now directing him, and so you have this narrative thread. Uh, he puts an earpiece in, and you hear her over this crackly sort of FM radio sounding voice directing him, now get up, now stand, look out the window, read the card. She's saying what he's going to do next. He does nothing that she doesn't direct, period. Right. That's, uh, she it's tells a simulacrum of a life. <laughs> it's brutal. The ending, uh, and I mean, there's a, we're going to have to discuss what the ending means, but... Uh, just to really quick go over, yeah, she starts directing him. He makes his way out into this world uh, outside of where his play was. We're mm -hmm. no longer in the same area as his play. We're outside of the building where his play was taking place in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. The world apocalypse, everyone's dead. Including... Although, would you agree with me that by the very final moment, there is no inside and outside? The play yes, is the I, world? I think so. Okay. And I think, uh, I just mean that literally the warehouse, yes. I think he's outside of that. And we're getting real sky, even though all of it has become ultimately his play. By and I the think end. you very pointedly see one real plant. So you're like, okay, this is the real outside. Yes. Yeah. But then you see also a Caden 
on the dead on a table. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is super, oh, yeah, that's right. super weird. And I, I don't, totally forgot don't even about that. ask me what the hell that means at this point. Yeah, I blo- I didn't block that. And up, he, but I mean, he, like, he looks at it for a moment, and then you move goes, on. All right. I, well, she tells him, keep moving. Keep moving. Yeah. And so he keeps going, and then eventually he sees the only actress, like you said earlier, the only person who breaks that fourth wall. The real, quote-unquote, fourth wall. Yeah, the, our fourth wall, <laughs> if there yeah. is one, and we aren't literally part of this movie. This, is, the, fucked up this is a wall right now, <laughs> yeah. and now the podcast, the, the listeners, we want to include you on oh, your thoughts. Oh, shit, we don't even it's exist. A, we're recursive to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, he makes his way to a couch. Uh, they talk. He talks about, and this is a million ways to debate, he talks about how he wished he had the picnic with his daughter. And which is what Ellen wished. Which is what Ellen yeah. wished, and then Ellen's mom's the one there, and he says, uh, "You look older. <laughs> I, you look older. Now apologize." Ellen says, and so he apologizes, and then he says, "Oh, I know how to do it. I know how to do it now." Talking about the play, and then as he finishes that sentence, Ellen says, "Die," and then fade to white, and we're done. And that's the end of the movie. And then three seconds of silence. And then my mom, who was watching with me, goes, she's kind of mean. Yeah. And I'm like, that wasn't really. (laughs) She had to make him die. That was his time to die. It was his time. She's like, I think she made him die because she's mean. There's that that squeaky one line that's relevant to what you just said, Brooks, which is the uh, when on the, because they missed the opening night, but on the second night of the Death of a Salesman play, when Adele does Adele doesn't give a standing ovation and they're walking back yeah, and they're with the parents and his dad asks, Why do all the old people look so young? Which is exactly what your mom was like, he missed your mom missed the point. Yeah. It was a the choice. question is very and relevant. She goes like, which remember, this is the thing Charlie Kaufman wrote after adaptation. Yeah. His shitty ex wife asks wouldn't you rather write something original than adapt something? Right. Yeah. Oh, like God. I feel like if Charlie Kaufman was in the room with your mom, he would be like, like "Yes." And she yes. goes, "Why?" And she Why? goes off. So Adele mean. in that scene goes off about how he needs to have his own voice, but it's that's Kaufman talking to himself. This movie's fucked up. Oh, speaking of Kaufman <gasps> talking to himself, I noticed just like pure satisfaction to me is there's a point where he says to Sammy because Sammy's crushing on Hazel, but the real Hazel. Not the girl playing Hazel. And he's in love with real Hazel, but has never done anything about it his whole life. He goes to Sammy, don't flirt with Hazel. And he goes, but I'm you. If you like Hazel, I like Hazel. And he goes, but this Hazel doesn't exist for you. If you want to like a Hazel, like that Hazel. He's literally talking to himself and figuratively saying advice he He should should hear, hear. but he will only interpret one level of it. He will not hear the wisdom behind Mm -hmm. that he's saying to himself. Right, so he's creating... (laughs) He's creating a uh, system for reality to play, and he still can't find the correct format of reality that makes him happiness. Yeah. Like so, no matter if he's if he's unhappy in the real world, he'll be unhappy in his fa- facsimile of the world. Yeah, and it's like that. He's not learning his lessons. It's expanded out. My my other favorite inside the world fourth wall is when he says, "I need someone else to play me," and that's when Ellen, the woman who plays Ellen, comes up. And she goes. I could I do, do it. it yeah. I know it's non-traditional casting. <laughs> and he goes, uh, what? And she goes, well, I've been watching you and I think I understand you. Really, you understand me. And she launches into this. I won't remember it exactly. I just know that it's... I have the quote. I don't mean to interrupt, but please if you want Please do, it, because it's just Then I'll awful. shut up. Caden, I understand you. You're a man already dead. Caden lives in a half-world between stasis and anti-stasis. Up until recently, he tried valiantly to make sense of this situation, but now he's turned to stone. 
and he, he goes, looks at her and he goes, "Sounds good." Yeah, it's about right. like it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's all it's none of it's done spectacularly. What she's saying to him is prophetic and mm-hmm. interesting and dark and deep. She's saying it just like, "Oh, well, I'm talking about a character." Blah, right, blah. Right. And here's he's like, "Yeah, okay, that's probably that's pretty much true." <laughs> yeah, it's like holy Which, shit. Which, by the way, is also how Sammy got the job, but he expressed the opposite side of that coin. Sammy expressed a true thing that was insightful about Caden's longing versus giving up. His was, he turns, he goes, I don't think you're right to play me, Sammy. And he turns to Hazel and goes, Hazel, I pray that someday we will become a flesh chimera, penis and vagina, eternally fused, four eyes that can only look at each other. And he goes, okay, you can play me. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, shit. But to go back to the funeral, because you did say that the guy who who played Peter Gregory is the priest. Yes, uh, the thing I started to saying was a third act speech that happens right after this, and given it's his by a guy dad's, playing. It's his dad's funeral. It's his dad's his, funeral his, occurring within his play. Yeah, within his play that his dad's attending because he remembered seeing sort of his dad at his mom's funeral, and there's an actor playing. There's levels, but what happens? I find I I love the scene so much because it's again very evocative in my mind of how memories work and the rosiness. Yeah. What he remembers and what he perceives as this beautiful prophetic moment that exists with rain. The preacher says something truly powerful and and you'll read it in a second. This amazing monologue that is more powerful now that half these characters have passed in real life. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And all the rain falls. It's just beautiful. That's not how the funeral happened at all. It was the least prestigious. He was awkward awkward. and out of place like he always is. And so it's (laughs) this, it's, I just love how those juxtapositions have, but just, it's worth reading the priest. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Just because I love it. I love that line. While alive, we wait in vain, wasting years waiting for a phone call or letter or look or something to make it all right, but it never comes. Or it does, but it doesn't really. So you spend your life in vague despair. (laughs) And he gets madder and madder and talks. It's a little too long to read it, but he's like, uh, like I didn't type it all, but he's like, and it's so fucking unfair. And I think it ends with... uh, and when people even seem like they're trying to help you, it's like, do they really want to help you? Or are they just making themselves feel better? Maybe they don't even want to access my grief because they have grief of their own. Well, you know what? Fuck everyone then. And I go back to <laughs> it's a Hazel. Hazel starts reading the trial. Yeah. That's, that, that is the meaning That's of the, the trial. That's the message of the trial. The message of the trial almost perfectly. And she says, I feel stupid. I never saw this book before. And he goes, you're not stupid. Like it's this right. moment of like, that to me, that's like Kaufman's, hey, no, no, this is accessible. I know my head is way up my own ass. Like, I know when I watch this yeah. and I'm overanalyzing it, I know where my head is. I, I'm not, <laughs> right, this sure. is not a normal person addressing a normal <laughs> film. But it's not about anyone being stupid. This is just kind of how life is. I, I find it. it. He's choosing to look at irreducible complexity, and that's always going to become dizzying eventually. Yes. Speaking of Alan, or the, I mentioned the quantum waveform thing, but I, I have my note of like, what I was trying to say is, that part where he's playing Ellen, there's a scene where the old lady in the hallway, who's now playing herself, who lets him into Adele's apartment, but on the set, we're now reenacting it. To reenact it, she comes up to him and says, Ellen? And he says, yes. Now, in reality, she's senile, and when he came up, he right. tricked his way into apartment because she goes, are you Ellen? And he said, yes. Now he's playing Ellen, so when she says, are you Ellen? And he says, yes, they're accurate lines within the world of the play they're in. So I was saying that's the point at which there are truly divergent realities that cannot be collapsed until like he dies or, you know, until conclusivity or, or, comes. Or is it a matter of they're both equally true? He's Ellen and not Ellen. It, he is Schrodinger's it's, Ellen. It's equally true that he tricked his way in or that 
He just answered honestly, yes, I'm Alan, because he, again... Or if time is a flat circle, he was always Alan, therefore he wasn't lying when he said he was Alan initially. Or, <laughs> or like, originally, the, the first thing that the, where we start seeing that happen is when he leaves Adele or Adele leaves him. Which one is the truth? Yeah. And like a lot of things in life, it's uh, these two things happen, we, we don't know why. There's this, there's this power behind them. It's a... Uh, Oh, I, I adore this film. And again, we get to the end and it's the powerful moment about death. And I know I've had probably my, too much of my share of it in my life, but it's how we deal with mortality and how we think about it. I find it to just be a very powerful take on the entire thing. I feel he gets away with a lot of choose your own adventure uh, meaning. That's Ch Kaufman laying it on the table saying like, what is the interpretation? And I... Don't know why, but I have a stick up my ass about directors should and storytellers should have a meaning, a, del a specific meaning. Now, obviously, he does get a, a few of the times the meaning is there is no meaning. It's a minority, but there's a proud tradition of movies that open the aperture of confusion just enough Yes, that rather than having one clear message... They have 45 messages, some of which contradict each other. Mm. Like, I think Magnolia is also kind of I agree like with that. that. Yeah. I agree with that. I think that there is a clear... Yeah, yeah. I would say Magnolia, which is a, one of my favorite films. Like, it definitely does that. It's yes. just so... I think the meta-ness gets in the way of it for me okay. to watch it from a, that standpoint. But I, I agree that the work is the same. The meta-ness makes it more of like a comedic exercise because he also spends a lot of this showing off how fucking clever he is because right. when you start following the nested structure and the camera just keeps pulling back and you're like oh that's the play oh no 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 that's the play that's kind of him showing off i mean yeah I'm, yeah yeah uh yeah and it, and it does tickle i mean it's the thing i love about kaufman is to me it, it tickles my brain in like that really me really too. fun way and i don't i'm not going to ever say that he's like the most powerful filmmaker I cry at the end of this movie every time. I don't fucking know why. It tickles me, and I enjoy it in a happy, like, in my brain space, my brain is going, I really like this. To me, it feels like when you solve a riddle and you get a little dopamine hit or whatever, <laughs> yeah, when you pick this stuff out. But as far as deeper meaning, I think the last thing I'll say on the subject is this is the only movie we've covered on frame rate ever. So I don't know if this means... Ever. The director's <laughs> at fault for not making the message clear and I'm just projecting my own thoughts. I believe the message really is encoded in there. It's open to interpretation as abstract art is, but this is the only frame rate we've ever done where I immediately came to an insight so profound that I hadn't had before that I wrote a little paragraph so that Ooh. I wouldn't forget it. I'm going to read that and then I'm done. Cool. So right after the end of this, I wrote, Oh shit. Caden says his whole goal in life is to receive true insights, but uses the play as a coping mechanism to shield himself from uh, finding insights and himself from others or connecting with others, which he also purports as the purpose of his art because he fears no one will love the real him because he's self-loathing. He's always done this and yet is not aware of it. His delusion is that he thinks he's tunneling toward the truth, but is actually tunneling away from it. The happy, en the happy ending, in my opinion is that death, which he feared his whole life, finally comes and turns out to be a friend because it serves truth on a platter. Death makes structure and sense of life, which is what he was seeking the whole time. The thing that he feared is the only way he would ever achieve his final goal. Without life, death would be an, a meaningless, infinite cavalcade of nonsense like this movie. 
every attempt to reduce the complexity of the universe into a structured narrative is laughable and will degrade into an infinite regression of absurdity, which is storytelling and memory. Uh, and it is only in the smaller, more intimate empathies we have in private moments with the people that matter to us that any semblance of true meaning or insight is found. I wish you wrote the film. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I would just have a guy come out and say that. Uh, be like, yeah. But it would be Robert McKee. Uh, there so you everyone was. would buy it. That's another thing about him is I love, in every Kaufman movie I've seen, so omitting I'm Namalisa, he has at least one character say, sweaty exposition so fucking stupid. Like, it's such a sellout move, more or less. And then it'll cut to Philip Seymour Hoffman going, you're gonna die, you're gonna die, that's what the movie's about. And you're like, so he hates himself for selling out and constantly also does it if he needs to. You need to see Anomalisa. I, I mean, really, it's, yeah. it's. I think it's one of his most solid non-choose-your-own-adventure. Because to Abe's point, it's you're a lot. right in the sense that I could watch this with a dozen people and there'd be a dozen interpretations. Exactly. And that's totally fair. I think it's when you're dealing with something so profound. The Roger Ebert quote I love uh, is his review of it. He doesn't give say this movie's good or bad. It's a really weird Roger Ebert review. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, His quote, uh, here is how it happens. We find something we want to do. If we are lucky or something we need to do, if we are like most people, we use it as a way to obtain food, shelter, clothing, mates, comfort, a first folio of Shakespeare, model airplanes, American Girl dolls, a handful of rice, sex, solitude, a trip to Venice, Nikes, drinking water, plastic surgery, childcare, dogs, medicine, education, cars, spiritual solace, whatever we think we need. To do this, we enact the role we call me, trying to brand ourselves as a person who can and should obtain these things. In the process, we place the people in our lives into compartments and define how they should behave to our advantage. Because we cannot force them to follow our desires, we deal with projections of them created inside of our minds. But they will be contrary and have wills of their own. Eventually, new projections of us are dealing with new projections of them. Sometimes versions of ourselves disagree. We succumb to temptation, but oh, Father, what else was I going to do? I feel like hell, I repent, and I'm going to do it again. Simulacrum is the best title for the play. He it. starts with the best title and gets worse and worse. <laughs> it's a, I, I just adore yeah. this movie, and I love the puzzle morality of it. Yeah. It's a, the complexity, I think, is the thing I enjoy. Isn't it when he says, I finally got the title, it's Infectious Diseases of Cattle, and the guy looks at him, he goes... No, no, no. Trust me, you'll get it. There's layers. It works. It works. It works in a lot of ways. <laughs> it works. Abe, any final thoughts? No, you guys, I like... You don't want to yawn or yell nerd? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, real snooze alert from over here in Abesville. Yeah. All right. Solid movie. I'm, I like your guys' interpretation a lot. I like mine less, having heard your interpretation. <laughs> They're quite different. Because mm -hmm. also, as I resonate deeply with Charlie Kaufman because he seems so sad... And it's in my vested interest, speaking of simulacra and trying to reshape yourself consciously, to find a happy interpretation because I trust his judgment and I want him to tell me that you can find peace. It's which the he's one probably not trying to This say. is the one movie where I do find, I think, <laughs> what I consider to be, I don't want to say a happy interpretation, but I'm not on the sad side of things. Mm -hmm. Anomalisa, I found to be heartbreaking. Okay. Uh, but I just don't. And I don't. And, but I talked to someone else and they're like, no, and I'm like, okay, I don't. Mm. Well, we'll cover that next time on Frame Rate. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye bye.